seated. I invite you to join me now in taking your Bibles and turning with me to John chapter 20, verses 1 through 23. John 21 through 23. Of course, this being Easter morning, we want to look at the Easter story. And all four of the Gospels record in detail the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to read John's account and lean on that most heavily, but we're also going to pull in from other accounts as well because they're all telling the same wondrous and miraculous story. They're just telling it from slightly different perspectives. Like I said, we will heavily lean on John 20 verses 1 through 23 this morning. As we turn there, if you would join me now, we go before the Lord to help us in our time in his word. So join me now as we pray. Our faithful God in heaven, you have moved your people to always delight in praising you, for you have made us for yourself, and our hearts will always be restless until they rest in you. We pray now through your spirit, you will guide us now to delight in your word, to praise you for your truth that we find in this word, and that our hearts will find rest in this, your eternal word. We pray this now in the most delightful and praiseful name of all of heaven, all of earth, the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Normally we would stand for the reading of God's word, but because it's a lengthy passage, we will stay seated this morning. But if you will read with me now, beginning in John chapter 20, verses, beginning in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, May Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have delayed him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went to the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying, with the, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture, they must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I, I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you, have, if you have carried him away, please tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Aramaic, Rabboni. Sorry, Rabboni. That's how you should pronounce it. Which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. 
On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. And he said to them, Receive now the Holy Spirit. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. So we have reached the end of the Holy Week. It begins with Palm Sunday. And so last Sunday we looked at Mark's account of Jesus with his disciples as they came into Jerusalem with great celebration. People waving palm branches and laying their cloaks on the ground. And Jesus came riding in on colts. And the crowds were around Jesus, up, up, up front and behind and around him. And they were, they were crying out and they were singing Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. As we looked at that account, we, we, we see that even with all that celebration taking place, Jesus wasn't consumed by it. He wasn't caught up in it. Because Jesus had this singular vision that had been there all along. But we see it more clearly now. This singular vision that he was on a mission. That he wasn't coming into Jerusalem for the adoration of the people. He wasn't coming in for a big party that was all about him. Jesus was coming to Jerusalem to really eventually head back out to Calvary, to Golgotha, to be crucified on the cross, and then to be laid in the tomb. And so this makes for, as we've said, quite an emotional roller coaster of a week. The week begins with this high of great celebration. And then we begin to plummet. As we get past Jesus washing the feet of the disciples and instituting the Lord's Supper, as Judas goes out to betray Jesus. And we continue that plummet as Jesus is taken before a trial before religious leaders and Pontius Pilate, which leads them to his persecution and being beaten to his suffering and then ultimately to his death. And now this morning we shoot up to the pinnacle of the Holy Week, that Jesus is resurrected. The tomb is empty. From a high to a low to an even greater high, it's like a roller coaster, an emotional roller coaster. But when you go to Carowinds or to the state fair or to, if you want to take your life in your own hands, go to a county fair and you ride a roller coaster, you know the ride eventually has to end. You come down off of that last hill, you come out that last twist and turn, and it begins to slow down, and you now have a feeling, maybe of a relief. The ride's over, you can get off, and hopefully you haven't vomited somewhere along the line. The adrenaline begins to wear down, the exhilaration begins to go away. The ride is over. It's done. You get out of the car, and you move on to another ride, or you go, you get a drink to calm your nerves, or you... Take a moment to recover from the ride. But every ride must come to an end. But not the Holy Week. 
This isn't the end for us. In a greater and bigger sense, today is really just the beginning for us as God's people. Because this truth that Jesus was crucified, that he was dead and buried, and on the third day he rose again from the grave, isn't just an interesting footnote to our faith. It isn't just something we, we, we bring out once a year and say, hey, isn't this great? It's not some sort of trivia we pull out at times to impress our friends. No, we talk about the crucifixion, and we talk about his death, and we talk about the resurrection of Jesus. We see through scripture it is central to our faith. This, this central point from which all of our faith and theology comes from is, is what we have remembered over the past 48 hours, 72 hours, over the past three days. So if you think about faith as a circle, if you go out that circle and you're in blasphemy, so you want to stay inside the circle, faith was a circle, and the middle of it would be a dot. Central to it all, and that dot of faith, the centrality to our faith, is that Jesus was crucified, was dead and buried, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. Everything we are as Christians, everything we believe as Christians, the ministry of this church, the ministry of our denomination, everything about Christ comes from this central point that he is the Son of God who was crucified dead and buried and on the third day he rose again from the dead that's not an an ARP thing that's not a Bethel thing that's a Bible thing that's a biblical truth Paul goes to Corinth to plant a church after going out evangelizing witnessing and baptizing people and starting a church and getting a session together and getting all the committees together because, of course, he would have planted a Presbyterian church, right? So you need committees um, and, he, and, and all that. He gets all together. He moves on. And the church starts to have issues. And so he writes back to the church and his counsel to them is this. And they're having some big issues. I mean, it's some pretty sordid details of the Corinthian church. But he says this to you or says this to them. He says to us. Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And what is this gospel? For I delivered to you as the first importance of what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, we said this before, and I said it earlier at the sunrise service at the Baptist church. Paul is essentially a one-note preacher. Every Sunday when you would come to church and Paul is your preacher, you go, I, man, I know what he's going to talk about this Sunday. It was, the, it was central to his text. Or it, it, it came from that premise and kind of moved in another, another direction or it pointed back to it. But Paul's one note His one point over and over again is Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The Son of God was crucified. The Son of God was buried. The Son of God was dead. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. That's all. That's all Paul wanted to preach about. It was always about the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If you flip to the back of your Bible, you probably have three maps detailing the three missionary journeys of Paul. And every place he stopped 
Paul would preach the same message. Every church he planted was planted from the same message. Every counseling he did, premarital, postmarital, uh, individual, church-wise, whatever the counsel was, it was the same counsel. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. Paul had one big dot in his life, faith, doctrine, and ministry. And that dot's what we have remembered and celebrated over the past few days. And what we confess every week. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead. We are never meant to celebrate Easter and then move onward. It's not like Christmas. Where we get home and from Christmas celebrations, either that day or a couple days afterwards, we begin to take down the decorations and we move on. That's not what we're meant to do with Easter. We're not just to move on from now and begin to get ready for the next holiday, which is Mother's Day. We probably should start preparing for Mother's Day, just a little heads up. But we're not to move on from Easter for Mother's Day. No, we are meant to come to Good Friday and Easter and we're meant to stay right here. We are meant to plant our roots here, to build our house here, to dig our feet in and say, I will never move from this point. We are meant to be crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus sort of Christians. This is what needs to be central to our faith, to our doctrine, to our ministry, to the ministry to his church, to the ministry of our denomination, is what we confess. He suffered on Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, and the third day he rose again from the dead. That's an enormous truth. And there's a lot we can take from that truth, but this morning I want to focus in on that it is this truth, the passion of Jesus Christ, that leads to joy. The joy of faith and the joy of being a Christian. We have talked before about Jonathan Edwards, the pastor in New England during the early years of our nation. Uh, God used him in the Great Awakening, and many of us know him from our having to suffer through reading through his sermon in English class, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But Edwards was also known as one of the most brilliant theologians, philosophers, Philosophy, philosophers, I'm saying that wrong. I'm not a philosopher, sir. <laughs> Brilliant theologian and speaker and thinker that God, that America has ever produced. And arguably one of the most brilliant in all of human history. Towards the end of his life, after thought and prayer, Jonathan Edwards says this. The resurrection of Christ is the most joyful event that ever came to pass. The resurrection of Christ is the most joyful event that ever came to pass. Now think about that with me for a moment. Out of everything in the Bible, out of all the events recorded, beginning with creation, and leading to the, the, to the proto-evangel on Genesis 3, where, where God promises a Messiah, all these wonderful stories in the Old Testament, all these wonderful stories in the New Testament, all of that... And Jonathan Edwards comes to the conclusion 
the most joyful of them all is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now for me, this gives me pause when I, when I know someone is so, so steeped in doctrine and, and, and has, has read the Bible and is faithful to his God like, like Edwards was and after he spent a lifetime of reading the Bible and, and praying through the Bible and, and thinking on the great truths of Scripture, he comes to this one conclusion. The most joyful event has ever come to pass in all of human history is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have to give that consideration, don't we? And we have to give it consideration not just because Edward says it, but because that's the testimony of Scripture. We've already alluded to that. That's the, that's the joy of Paul. So, so much so is the joy, the resurrection of such joy to him that that's what he went out and ministered. It's what he died for. Paul, Paul died because he wanted God to tell others about the joy of the resurrection. Here's who Jesus is. And here's what Jesus did for you. And the wonder of it all is that you can go to Jerusalem, folks. And you can see the empty cross. And you can see the empty tomb. Paul died for that truth. All the apostles, save one, died for that truth. John died of old age, but he died preaching that great truth. It's been the joy of Christians since the very beginning. It's been the joy of men and women who have spent so much time in their Bible and prayer and understanding doctrine. It has been their joy because that's the joy of Scripture. And we see that in all the gospel accounts of the resurrection. Now think about what we know about the story so far. We have Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, after Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, Judas goes off to, to, to do his thing. Jesus and his disciples, they go out, they're singing hymns. Jesus ends up in the garden praying. And here comes Judas. And do you remember what happens? Judas comes up to Jesus and kisses him on the, tree, on the cheek. And here comes all the Roman soldiers to, to take Jesus. And do you remember what all the apostles did? They ran for their lives. One of them ran away naked. He tells us, they grabbed my robe, left my robe behind, and I ran away. In fear and for their safety, they try to get far away from Jesus. They scatter and abandon him. But Peter begins to come to his senses. He follows from a distance. He goes, he goes to where they're putting Jesus on trial before the religious leaders. And Jesus, Judas, or sorry, Peter is out in the, fall, in, the, in the courtyard. And we remember what happens, right? He denies Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. And Jesus tells Peter, you're going to do this. And the third time you do it, the rooster's going to crow. And Peter argues with Jesus. No, I'm not. <laughs> you, don't, you don't really know me, Jesus. I got this down. The third time he denies Jesus, he does it with curse words. So adamant is he in denying him. He's going to ask them some choice words they would have to, they used to have to believe out on TV. It's all over TV. Three times he denies them. And we get to the crucifixion and who Jesus follows are there. The women are there. 
faithful women of Jesus. Mary Magdalene, his mother Mary is there. And the apostle John is there as well. Nobody else. And so we get to this point in the story in the first Easter morning. We're told that disciples are gathered together. And we know there's little to no joy among them. Because as far as they know, their Jesus is dead. Their Messiah is gone, and they had abandoned him. When they should have been there with him. When they should have defended him. How many times did Peter go over that in his mind if he could have said, I just stood up for Jesus. But they all fled from out of fear for safety. This is one of the most joyless mornings you would have ever been a part of. We could go back some 2,000 years ago and walk into that room we would have been immediately depressed. And from this joyless despair, early on this morning, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome, get up, and they get up early to take spices to the tomb of Jesus. Why? Because they're expecting a dead man to be there. They don't want their dead Jesus to stink. I know that's crude. But they love him too much to let him to stink like that. So they take spices. And this is where we get to the joy of the story, isn't it? They come around the bend. And the, the stone is rolled away from the tomb. And they look in, there's... There's no dead Jesus. Matter of fact, they look in and they see that some of Jesus' burial linens have been folded up neatly. And I think that's an interesting fact. That Jesus, when he was resurrected, folded up some of his linens neatly and laid it down. I don't know what the significance of that is. Except we should probably be folding our clothes up to laundry so we can put them up neatly. I don't, I don't know if we make a theological connection to that. But, but it's neat that, that that fact's in there. So it's in the tomb. There's no body. There's two angels who tells them the good news that there is no dead Jesus. There's only a risen Savior. And then we get to Mary's, or to, sorry, to John's account. And eventually, Mary Magdalene's all alone. And she sees a man standing there. At first, she thinks he's the gardener. And she begs with him. She's almost accusing him, isn't she? If you know where they took him, if you know where they took my Jesus, please tell me, I just want my Jesus back. Did you pick up on Jesus' answer? It's one word. Answer name. Mary. And as soon as her Jesus says her name, she is now able to see and understand that it is the resurrected, resurrected Jesus right there in front of her. And what's her response? Pure, unfiltered joy. How do we know that? John doesn't tell she begins dancing around like a fool or you know, grinning all over the place. Notice what Jesus says. Mary, let go of me. Mary, let go of my robes. Why do you have to say this? Because Mary and the joy of the resurrection grabs onto her Jesus and she's not going to let go. 
She had come expecting to anoint a dead body, but now she gets to hug her resurrected Jesus. Her joy must have been beaming from her face. If we come around the bend, we may have seen the joy just radiating off of her because her Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. That's joy, isn't it? I imagine we all have a list of people when we get to heaven we think you know, we want to talk to. And Mary Magdalene's one of those. I think she's a fascinating character. But if we'd meet her, when we meet her, we'd ask her, what was the most joyful day in your life? I think her answer would be, that's easy, it's two days. The first day when Jesus saved me. And the second is when he was resurrected. Because she would never forget either one of those days, would she? <laughs> Because those days are filled with that resurrected joy. She has been saved from her sins. Her dead soul has now been resurrected in Jesus Christ. She has gone from death to life. And now she has the promise of an eternity with Jesus Christ. It is a day filled with the joy of the resurrection that comes from salvation. And then she has the joy that her Savior is a risen Savior. Even death could not contain him. Death has lost his power. Death has lost his sting. And when he walked out of that tomb, he walked out of that tomb for every one of his people. So his resurrection has become our resurrection. And this account reminds us that Jesus always brings his people joy individual by individual. If you are a Christian, then that means the resurrected Jesus has come to you has made himself known to you, has flooded your heart and your mind with the joy of who he is and what he has done for you. He has made you know and understand that he died on the cross for you, was laid in that tomb, and was resurrected out of that tomb for you. Which means the same Jesus who walked out of that tomb and called Mary by name is the same resurrected Jesus who comes to you and calls you by name. And that's joy, isn't it? To know that Jesus has come after you, has loved you, has called you by name and made himself known to you in all of his resurrected glory, that is joy. And that is what it means to be blessed. To have that Christ-given and centered profound peace, comfort, stability, and joy that Jesus walked out of the tomb this day some 2,000 years ago so he could one day come to you who was once an enemy and bring you the joy of his salvation for you. Do you have that joy? Do you know that joy? Have you received that joy to resurrected Christ? If not, do you want it? It's as simple as believing and who Jesus says he is. And what he has done for you. And the moment you believe that. Is the moment the resurrected Jesus calls you by name. Into his eternal family of eternal joy. And the thing is with this joy. We cannot contain it to ourselves. Jesus goes on to take this joy to the disciples. He says it's Sunday evening. 
The disciples have heard the testimony of the women and Peter and John. And now they're confused. They're, they're, not, they're despairing, they're depressed, and now they're confused. And Jesus knows this. So he goes to them. He stands right in the midst of them and pronounces peace on them. And again, like Mary, we know their reaction. John says they were glad. I think that's an understanding way of saying they were filled with joy. Why? Because like Mary, they now know their Jesus is alive. He's resurrected. He is the risen Savior. True and eternal joy has now entered into the room with them. And think about it. The door was locked. Then the windows were closed. Right? It's a gloomy place with gloomy people in it. One moment they're in there, they're joyless, they're confused, and the next moment every fiber of their being was filled with the joy of the, resur- of the resurrection because the resurrected Jesus was there with them. But I want us to take a little bit higher view of this and think again about who is gathered in that room. It's the disciples, right? But we also know them as the covenant community. The ones that Jesus called to follow him. And they responded to that call and they loved him and they followed him and they worshipped him. Gathered in that room that Sunday evening was the church. Gathered that Sunday evening in that gloomy place is the church. A little side note. Makes me nostalgic when churches have Sunday evening services. It's not a stab at our church, but just makes me nostalgic for those days. But the church was gathered together. And Jesus brought joy to the church. And the wonder of it all is he does the same even today. Not only has he brought the joy of salvation individually to us, but he brings joy to us each time we are gathered together for worship of him. Because we too are like the disciples. We have been called by Jesus and we answer that call and we follow him and we love him and we worship him. So every time we gather together each Lord's Day, it is a celebration of resurrection because we are gathered together to worship a risen Savior who promises to bring joy every time we gather together. This, when we do this, Jesus says, I will meet with you and I will give you great joy. All we're called to do is to show up and worship. We can't produce it by all sorts of music and lights and and fog and and pastors who are wearing skinny jeans and pastors should never wear skinny jeans. No man over 30 should ever wear skinny jeans. No man under 30 should wear skinny jeans. But I'll shove about skinny jeans. We don't need all these things to build up this. All we need is the hymns and the songs and the word. And we gather together and Jesus shows up and he gives us his joy. Every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ who will show up and give us his resurrection joy. When the history of the late 20th and 21st century church is written, I'm afraid it will be to our great shame to see how we've traded the joy of Christ for the emptiness of this world. When the excuses are listed out for why we have chosen to miss worship, sports and games for, for me time, I'm just too busy, I didn't set my alarm for vacation. What we see is a list of what we have cra- traded Christian joy for. Where has this gotten us? A church that's in decline, a church that's looking more like the world 
church that's suffering because we are a church that's losing its joy. All we are called to do is gather together to worship. And here's Jesus to give us that joy. That joy we need because there are going to be dark times in our life where we have no other joy except the joy of knowing that God loves me. For us times where doubt is gnawing away so greatly at our hearts and all we can do is hold on to the joy of knowing that the tomb is empty because Jesus was risen from my grave, from my, from my death, from my resurrection. This isn't a joy that always makes us, da- that always makes us dance. It's a joy that helps us get through the tears. To know that Jesus is the one who's joy incarnate, joy resurrected, joy risen. And then quickly, as we see in verse 21, Jesus calls us to share this joy with the world around us. He tells disciples, you shall go out. That's the great commission. Go therefore into the world to do what? To share the joy of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And y'all, we look around at us, we are a world that greatly needs joy right now, don't we? Or does it? The world is a dark place. The world is a sad place. The world is a dangerous place. I mean, for goodness sake, you can't go to Columbia Center on Saturday to, do, to, do, to get a new Easter dress without somebody threatening to shoot you up. The world needs the joy of Jesus and he's called us to share it. After this day, do you think you could shut, shut up marrying the disciples about this? No. Like we said earlier, 11 of the disciples died, or 10 of the disciples, 12, 11 disciples, you include Peter and Paul, 11 disciples died because they wanted to tell all about this joy. So we are called to be faithful in sharing this joy with whoever God puts in our path. The joy of our salvation, the joy of a risen Savior, the joy of Christ. And I want us to think about this as we close. Maybe we need to think about where we find our joy. And I'll put it in, I'll put it in these terms and, 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 and bear me out. If we were able to do time travel and we were to bring an early Christian to our day and time and they're able to spend a year with us like a foreign exchange student and we bring them to spend a year with us to see what it's like and they got to see how we celebrated Easter, how we celebrated Christmas, what do you think they would say? I think they would say to us, you've got it all backwards. You, you, you spend four weeks, you spend a month celebrating Christmas. You, know, you decorate the church and you put up a Christmas tree and, 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 and you give gifts and you have parties and you sing all these songs and yet you spend a week on the resurrection. Maybe. Maybe we're here on Palm Sunday, not Easter. Maybe we're here Easter, not Palm Sunday. We give it a day. Maybe a week. I'm I'm not trying to argue against Christmas. My family loves Christmas. Our son Patrick is a tyrant about Christmas. He talks about it every week. Tired of it. What I'm trying to say is that maybe we've gotten to where our joy has been reversed. We've put it in the wrong places. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Easter is. Because Christmas isn't the most joyful time of the year. Easter is. Maybe it's time we rethink where our joy is. 
to make sure that our joy is exactly where the Bible calls us to place our joy. On that wooden cross on a hill with a crown of thorns at his foot in an empty tomb with the stone rolled away and the burial cloth neatly folded and with the risen Savior whose very resurrected presence and power brings joy to all that he calls by name. That is our joy. Pray with me.